Hi, everyone. Welcome to Aberrant Behavior. I'm your host, Christabel. And today in this episode, we're going to talk about a subject matter that I'm very familiar with, and that is um, corporal punishment within the Black family. It's it's a prevalent thing. Um, I don't think there's any Black family that hasn't had some f- sort of experience with um, children being beat as a way to discipline them and correct them. And I think that it's high time we start having deeper conversations about this because the both the physical and psychological impact on children is huge. And it is important that we begin to address it rather than just going business as usual. So a little bit of my experience with corporal punishment, I grew up in Ghana uh, to a Nigerian mom who just knew that's how she knew to discipline because that's how she was disciplined. And also raising a kid like me, I was very impetuous. I was very inquisitive. I was very curious. I had a lot of questions about everything. I didn't think of it as um, insolence. I just had questions. I didn't know how to just do what I was told to do just because I was told to do it. Even though I knew the consequence for asking all these questions was the potential of being spanked, I still ask those questions because that's just how I came out of the womb. I'm still that way. A lot of that uh, curiosity and uh, autonomy and independence and self-will was beating out of me. A lot of it was beating out of me for sure. And it's taken me years of work and therapy to come to a place of accepting that I have a voice, a very loud voice, a very, um, a very opinionated voice, a very, I'm a, I'm a person who knows her mind through and through. But I lost that voice for many years, and I think a lot of it has to do with how I was disciplined. Uh, Beyond physical discipline, even though that's what I want to talk about today, the same culture kind of persists where kids are meant to be heard. I mean, (laughs) definitely not that. Kids are meant to be seen and not heard. And a lot of the questions kids would have would be, uh, relegated to naivete and you, you, you don't know anything cause you're a kid and I'm the adult and what I say goes and I have all the answers in life to questions, you know, that exist. And, you know, like kids, you look up to your guardians, you, when you're a kid, you just believe everything they tell you. And you look at them as this big, just all-knowing um, people. And it wasn't until I turned, like, in my 30s that I realized, oh, my God, what a fallacy that is. Parents are just people who had children. That's it. A lot of the children, a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of them had children through, like, oops, I'm pregnant. So even when it's planned, it is still just people who had kids. The fact that you carried a baby or you have kids in your 30s or 20s does not automatically impart upon you this superhuman knowledge. You don't just suddenly become this person who just knows everything. And I 
I, I speak I speak on this as a 30, about to be 35-year-old who is just now finally coming into my own, coming to know who I am. And it didn't just happen either. It's taken years and years of work to begin to understand that many things that I feel I felt were factual were indeed just conditioning, be it conditioning from my parents or my culture or my society or my religion that I belong to or my friends and all of this stuff is conditioning. So when, if I decide, you know, implicitly to hold on to that conditioning as the factual truth and the, and the only way to look at life. And for a fact, I know for a fact that God exists. And I know for a fact that this is the career that, um, my kids should pursue. And I just, and and if I, if, if I'm approaching life that way and I suddenly get pregnant and I decide that, this is how I'm going to raise my children. This is the knowledge I'm going to impart on them. This thing that I just, I am the all-knowing being and, and I, I, I make it my mission to get them to believe that all the things that I believe are true. Man, when I think of it that way, I'm just like, what a shit show it would have been had I raised children in my 20s. Or shit, even in my early 30s, you know? So, but that's, I feel like how a lot of parents, especially the generation before us, my mother's generation, that's how a lot of them raised kids. Um, and I, and just in different conversations with different parents, that's how they continue to raise kids. Instead of just approaching it from, I don't know everything, I'm still learning. You have questions. I may not have the answers to your questions. And I, I, I'm going to admit to you that I don't have the answers to your questions. And, um, and I, I give you the leeway to explore the possibilities that exist, to explore the possible answers to these questions. Because I don't know for a fact. If more parents approached parents in that way, I think it would really go a long way in ensuring that kids that are raised are are able to trust their voice, are able to approach life with curiosity and and a zeal for for learning and and questioning and 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 innovating, you know. So Yes, spankings or beatings are certainly one way we can beat that inquisitiveness out of children, but also by squelching their voice, by telling them that they do not have a right to ask questions because they're children. So I was, when I was preparing to give this, like, I was just looking up stuff for this podcast, certain things I knew and certain things were absolutely new to me. And so I wanted to like bring some of those um, statistics to view here to see exactly how important it is for us to have these conversations and begin to take the steps to, 
do better. It's Maya Angelou that said that when you know better, you ought to do better. And I solidly believe that. I'm not going to judge you. And I don't think anyone should judge anyone for doing what they know. Um, but I do think there is a measure of responsibility that exists when we know better that we do try to do better. And so this research was very, um, pertinent to the subject matter. It's a 2015 Pew Research survey that found that black parents are more than twice as likely as white and Latino parents to use corporal punishment on a regular basis, and they are far less likely to never spank their children. That is a huge margin. But, you know, I was actually not surprised by this um, this particular survey because I feel like it's we bear it as a badge of honor that we spank our children. We say, look at look, that's why those white kids or whatever, that's why they turn out the way they do. They talk back, they're disobedient, they're disrespectful, they throw tantrums, they don't know how to act. We take it upon we we bear it as this badge of honor that we are able to beat our children into submission. We are raising obedient children. Um, it wouldn't be a problem if not for this next st- statistics. Um, let me find it. If not for this next statistics that found that black children are mistreated and killed at significantly higher rates than white and Latino children. It also says that black children are more likely to be assaulted seriously injured or killed by a family member than by the police or a neighborhood watchman. Let me read that again. Black children are more likely to be assaulted, seriously injured, or killed by a family member than by the police or neighborhood watchman. That is crazy. That is incredible. We see, we live in America where we see that way the police and the culture of white supremacy we live in, how detrimental it is to black people. How many black people are being killed on a daily basis by the police, by white vigilantes out to basically hunt us and kill us. Just last week, we saw the story with Armand. He was just going for a run. And because he didn't listen to two people, two random strangers who told him to stop, they shot him in broad daylight. So if you think of that and then think of the fact that this uh, research is saying that Black children are more likely to be assaulted, seriously injured, or killed by a family member than by the police. That should be a wake-up call. That should be a wake-up call that tells us to like have a conversation about how, why this is happening, how we can stop it, how we can begin to be the voice of change in our communities. And you see, like, Black kids don't even have to be killed for the devastating psychological impact of physical, uh, physical uh, corporal punishment to be present. 
You don't have to leave marks. You don't have to choke them out. You don't have to pull a gun on them to cause long-term detrimental psychological impact on them. You don't have to do all that. And again, research upon research upon research is saying, it's saying this. So it's high time we address it. That's, that, that's basically, that's, that's what I'm saying. And what authority do I have to speak as, a, as someone who doesn't have children? Well, I was a child. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all the, that, that's all the credibility I need. I was a child who was beat Oftentimes in anger, yes, by a parent who didn't know any different, but still the impact of that treatment, I'm still bearing the brunt of it. And I'm working so hard to heal from it, to, to believe in myself, to, to, to believe that I have a, I have a, I have a right to take up space, to question authority to speak up for injustices when I see them at work or anywhere else. I'm working every day very hard to heal. And I just want the next generation of black kids not to work this hard, that they just know that they're everything and some more. And again, I am not trying to cast blame. I'm just trying to say, let's talk about it. And I think it's also important to mention why this is not a blame issue. When you look at the history of corporal punishment, where did it start and how come black families adopted it to such such a large extent? Um, This was a new thing for me. I didn't know this, but it was ta- this article talked about, and I'll link the articles so that you can do uh, further reading on it. This article was talking about how West African traditional belief held that children were reincarnated ancestors. West African societies held children in a much higher regard than slave societies in the Atlantic world, which placed emphasis on black bodies as property, not as human beings. West Africans believe that children came from the afterlife, that they were gods or reincarnated ancestors who led profoundly spiritual lives and held extraordinary mystical powers that could be harnessed through ritual practice for the good of the community. In fact, it was believed that coercion and hitting a child could scare off their soul. How fucking rad is that? Like, seriously, think about it. They basically said children are the bee's knees. Let's protect them. Let's basically, let's worship them because they're these beings that came from the spiritual realm to help us humans, to bring fresh perspective, to bring like new knowledge So then how did we go from a people who loved and revered our children to people who are killing and harming our children? The slave masters did it. I mean, basically blame white supremacy for everything, always. The slave masters came came to sub-Saharan Africa 
brought shackles and whips with them to try to subdue the black body. And when they came, they did this. They took us away to the Americas, and then you had the advent of slavery. They came to they they came to somewhere like America, and continued this harsh maltreatment of black people. Black slaves were frequently whooped and and lynched and beaten and sold. I mean, we know that history. But here's what then happened. They used scripture. One of, part of what happened was that they used scripture to validate their treatment of, of, of black people in this way. And then the, the slaves also began to adopt this because it was imperative that they made sure that the children behaved so that they're not sold, so that Massa doesn't do the whooping. So instead of waiting for Massa to do the whooping for them, they took it upon themselves to begin to whoop their children. It was out of fear, right? They were scared that um, their kids were going to be separated from them. What incredible psychological harm. And if you're scared that your kid was not going to show proper deference or exhibit the appropriate demeanor in front of the white owners, you would do anything to try to protect your children. And that's what they did. They just felt like if, if I beat you, at least there's a chance that you will stay alive or you will remain on the plantation with me rather than being sold or killed. And that has just continued on throughout the generations to where there can be a survey, you know, telling us that uh, black people are twice as twice as likely to beat their children and they kill and injure their children more than um, the police or neighborhood watchmen. And I just feel like we need to we need to stand up and say enough is enough. Let's no longer do that. Yes, we, the danger still persists. The dangers of like our kids going out there and talking back to the policeman and being shot or questioning authority at work and losing their job. Those dangers are present and definitely we have to continue talking about race and educating our children on how to survive in a country that was never meant for them and how to survive people who are intent on killing them. But let's not kill them. Let's not kill them as a means of educating them. Let's not strip away their brilliance and their inquisitiveness just so that the white man doesn't do it for, for us. I think the way forward, the way to healing is actually raising children who are self, self-aware, who are inquisitive, who are free, who are, who are expressive and, and determined and curious. I think there's, that's how we take back our power. 
That's how we can have kids who can organize and make headway in making sure that we bring an end to this system, this deeply racist system. We need black people who are expansive in their thoughts. And it starts from childhood. Quelling that is not the way forward. That's just what I personally think. And that's what the research suggests. So how can we begin to do the work as parents, as as aunties and uncles? How can we begin to do the work at looking for alternate means of um, discipline. And, and let me also say one thing. The black church and black ministers did not help because they also drilled down to parents that you do not spare the rod if you do not want to spoil the child. That did not help because till today, that is what a lot of parents have as a go-to why they beat their children because the scripture says do, uh, do not spare the rod well the scripture actually also says in corinthians that do not aggravate the spirit of your children do not frustrate your children and a side story i would quote this scripture to my mom all the time growing up I would say to her, because she would say, obey your parents so that you get to live a long life. And I would say, well, do not frustrate your children so that you get get the blessings. (laughs) Yeah, I, I told you. I was a, I was a hothead. I'm, I'm a hothead growing up. So, so if she would quote that scripture as she was beating me, I was like, well, you are frustrating me and you will not get the blessings that you're going to get from God. You, you were, you know, that you deserve from God. So like realizing that the white man brought the Bible and Hey, like if you're a Christian, like no shade at all, but they brought the Bible and took our land and our autonomy and our, our people and stole talent. Let's not internalize it any more than we already have. In no other relationship, is it okay to ever put hands on someone? Yet somehow we have, they have managed to convince us that our kids deserve to be beaten. Our kids deserve not to be heard. Our kids deserve to, um, to be told that they're great, the greatest thing they have to, the greatest asset they have is obedience. Respect, sure. Kindness, sure. Obedience, yeah. They, sh- they they should be able to question things. We're not raising subservient clones. These are people. The kids are people. They are people with their own thought processes. If you've ever witnessed a two or three year old in their innocence, you know that they already have a personality. So let's just preserve that. Let's just make them understand that they are good enough as they are. 
we can guide them, we can teach them, we can we can we can try to um, hone in on their natural abilities and their natural inclinations. But certainly, the goal shouldn't be to to completely erase their innocence and replace it with what society says they should be, or even our own beliefs. Parents can begin to reparent themselves so that they can parent better. They can begin to work on their own conditioning so that they can understand when they are um, imposing their views on, on their children, when they are um, continuing in generational trauma. I think it's, it's, it's serious work. I think it's important work. And I think we can do it. I believe strongly that we can learn how to do things differently. A lot of, a lot of people are, a lot of my friends and people I know are in our 30s and we don't have kids yet. But we want to have kids one day. And I think it would be a shame for us to raise kids in this way. For us to raise kids who, ha- who lose their voice by the time they leave us. And no, we don't have to beat them and leave marks on them for that treatment to be detrimental. And I just want us to do better. This is a call in. This is me calling in me, calling in you to stop defending your right to hit your children. Okay, (laughs) let's stop defending it. It's not of us. It's not from us. Let's give it back. Let's let's say like, let's say, no, I don't want any part of this. This is not who my ancestors were. I reject this internalized um, racism, internalized, ugh, you know, like, let's just say goodbye. Let's say, no, thank you. Keep your shit. I'm going to raise children who are, are, are assertive. So I just wanted to talk about that. It's a lot. And like when I think about the self-doubt, the lack of boundaries and trying to find love in other people that I have suffered and still suffer from, I can trace almost all of that back to the way I was disciplined. And I don't know, it's been a painful journey. It's been a necessary journey. I just, and I'll be fine. I'm fine. And I'll, I, you know, I turned out okay or whatever, but I just feel like we can, we can, we can begin to give the next generation a leg up when we approach it like right from the get go. So that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. And I also want to talk, talk to other people like me If you felt that your voice was taken away from you, I see you. You can get it back. You can begin to trust yourself again. You can begin to learn how to set boundaries, respect boundaries, and gain your autonomy back. It's hard work. It's hard work, but you can do it. And I'm not saying this from a privileged perspective perspective of if I can do it, you can do it too. No, I'm just saying that it is possible to unlearn 
behaviors. It is possible to, you know, shed, shed layers that are not us because deep down, all of us have something beautiful within us. So if there's self-doubt, if there is, um, if there's self-doubt or self-esteem issues or not feeling like you matter or you have a voice, I'm here to tell you that while it's, it takes hard work to begin to find your voice again, the work is worth it. The reward is amazing. Literally, that work has led me to a point where I can start this podcast talk openly, like use my voice and believe that I have something to offer. And that's literally, that's why, um, imposter syndrome, it's mostly black and brown people who suffer from imposter syndrome. If you've met, (laughs) have you guys seen that meme that says, I want the confidence of a mediocre white man? Uh Uh-huh. They don't suffer from imposter syndrome mostly. They just out here willy-nilly doing this, you know. And yet, so, like, we are so brilliant and so capable, yet we are so fearful of taking up space. And all of this has roots in, 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 in all that I've talked about. But yet we can begin to move away from it. We can begin to move forward. We can begin to, from parents to aunties to uncles, we can raise kids differently. And for us who have already been raised this way, we can begin the work to unlearn. You know why I think I talked about this, but do you know why I named my Uh, podcast aberrant behavior, because I think we need to embrace our aberrancy. We don't need to fit a mold. We don't have to be the norm. We don't have to be the way society tells us we ought to be. And we can just be who we are. And if they consider it aberrant, well, then that's on them. That's on them. And that's all I wanted to say. Um, the work takes a while. Do not despair. Don't berate yourself. Yes, it is hard work because this stuff is super hardwired into our conscious, into our subconscious. Show your yourself grace through it. Be your biggest cheerleader. Just buckle down and and do the work. It's a long process, but it's a worthwhile process. Until next time, I love you. Um, Let's continue this conversation elsewhere in the description box, like in the comments on IG. I am always like, hit me up in my DMs. I'm always like here to have this conversation. Okay. Love you. Bye.